Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are welcoming back one of our favorite guests, Humberto Braga. And we're going to be talking about dealing with identifying difficult emotions. So before we get started and we introduce him more formally, Michael has a few more announcements. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to our show. We're actually recording this episode, but we'll be on the live chat if you guys have any questions. And if you do have any questions for Humberto, leave us a comment, and we'll make sure we pass those along, too. So definitely interact with us if you like. Um, we've got some great shows coming up. Next week is uh, Spell It Out with Krista, which is her free-for-all, and uh, she will discuss whatever she discusses. Um, and then coming up the first show in September, we're already into September. How about that? Um, we're going to have Krista's dad back on, and we're going to discuss all of us some of the different psychic experiences that we've had over the years, and so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, we're working on a couple of other really great shows for September, and then we've got some great shows coming up in October. We have our good friends Mystic Mittens back on, and they've just inherited a collection of haunted dolls from a funeral home, so I can't wait to hear about that. That should be a lot of fun. Um, and we're going to have our good friend Madame Zulema back on to talk about um, the Day of the Dead. And we're going to have our good friend Jackie Smith back on to talk about Samhain. So lots of pagan witchcraft, haunted stuff for October as usual. Um, so join us for all of that. Please get all the information on our website, SixthSenseSociety.com, S-I-X-T-H. It's all spelled out. And you can find out about upcoming episodes and so forth. Uh, while you're there, kick in a couple bucks on Ko-Fi, if you will, for a coffee. Um, it helps us cover some of our production costs. And if you can't afford anything, then join us anyway. We're happy to do this show for you guys. And we don't want it to be only for those who can afford it. But if you can definitely afford a couple bucks, it's nice to get that. And thank you to everybody who has contributed and to all the people that have left nice comments and encouraged us. It's just really, really heartwarming when we get that stuff. So we, we appreciate that. And then sign up for our newsletter. It's quarterly, and it's just going to be some of the links to some of our favorite episodes and some other cool stuff that we find on the web. Um, so definitely partake of that. And then one last quick announcement, and then we'll get back to, her, to Krista and Humberto, is our friend David Ullman. And that's next weekend, the 21st and 2nd, I think it is, whatever that Friday, Saturday. Um, he's going to have a virtual ghost hunt at his uh Hosts up on the Hollywood Hills near where the Manson family did in everybody. So it's a very famous haunted property and it's only a couple bucks and it's going to be going on for two days and you'll be able to have a virtual ghost hunt with him. So it should be very fascinating to see how that all plays out. So, And you can go to his website, um, theomenhost.com and get all the information uh, about that and buy your tickets, which I think are like 10 bucks or something. So not very expensive. Um, and Dave is a character, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, and with that, I'm going to kick it back to Krista and our guest. And I'm super excited about the topic because I think we've all been processing a lot of emotions these days. And I know Humberto is always an amazing guest and has some phenomenal insights. So I'm just curious to hear what he has to, to say on the subject. So take it away, Krista. Great. I love you too, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Michael. And for those of you who have not met Humberto in person or virtually, he is a visionary artist, a writer, a spiritual seeker of consciousness, and he also started Guide True, which is a really free and great um, site where you can sign up to be a practitioner or you can also get re recommendations for any kind of healing work. And it's really innovative. And so we'll talk about that at the end where to, you can check that out. So welcome back, Humberto. Krista, I love talking to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, pretty good today. I didn't sleep very well last night. Maybe the topic of the show. Okay, well, let's get into it then. <laughs> let's process. Yes, let's process. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what led you to really explore this topic? Uh, you mean, I think it's a traumatic childhood, first of all. Um, I think for like a lot of people, I live my life in my head, you know, like very disconnected from my body, 
Um, and I always normalized it. You know, in our society, we normalize repressing our emotions and disconnecting from our feelings and being in your head a lot. And, uh, and I thought it was a sign of strength ever since I was young. And I, through talking to my friends, you know, my friends, one day I had this amazing feedback from a friend. He said, you know what? You always say the right things and you do amazing things, but I can't feel you. Like, I can't feel that emotion from you. And that just brought me down. Like, I can't, like, it hurt so much that my friends couldn't feel me. And it was true. I kept it all locked in. And I was so up here, like, calculating and afraid to be vulnerable, to show that intimacy and allow myself to just relax and let go and feel my body. I was always very stiff and rigid. So um, that's when I took my healing journey um, and started going deeper. But really, that's what it came down to, childhood trauma. And I think also just being in a very traumatic society. I think we live in a very sick society. And, you know, again, we normalize to it over the years. But when you start kind of scratching below the surface and realizing that it's not healthy, then it's like opening up Pandora's box. Everything comes out. It's funny when you were talking about the fact that we'll talk about this a little later, uh, living in a sick society. I remember reading somewhere in a Buddhist book where some monks for the first time ever saw a footage of Hiroshima and they all just started crying and wailing and they just couldn't believe it, which is the proper response to such an atrocity, right? And, and I think we're just so bombarded too that, you know, how do we process the world now, you know? But we'll, we'll go to the outside. Let's start with the inside first. And let's talk about a little bit um, what you would define as real trauma? Like how would a person identify the trauma? Well, I think trauma is anything like, I think there's a distinction to be made between discomfort and trauma. And um, I think it's really a case by case basis. You know, people are so unique. Some people are highly sensitive people. Some people, you know, aren't that sensitive to stress. And they've done scientific research with this in terms of, uh, you know, the length of, um, I think, telomeres on DNA and how resilient people are to stress. And some people just have more resilience naturally, emotionally to stress. And some people, it ages them faster. So I think there's a differentiation between what is traumatic for one person and traumatic to another. But generally speaking, I feel, if we're going to just talk in general terms, trauma is anything that pulls you away from your wholeness and is non-consensual and uh and you know it can be like one event like you know being in a natural disaster or a rape or something else that's very traumatic or it can be over time very gradual you know like forcing you to not be yourself every day in society where you constantly have to conform and change yourself and sacrifice a piece of your soul in order just to live and you can't re, you know say anything about it otherwise you'll be punished for it all these things are different aspects of trauma um so that it's a spectrum it's a spectrum yeah i like that and and i i would say uh for me personally it has been easier to identify the big traumas and not the incremental traumas yeah. so where you've been worn down in a certain way and you just come to accept okay this is how it's going to be one of the things I'm noticing um, for myself, and maybe you can address this a little bit, is uh, when one wants to start asserting oneself in ways that we haven't, how do you go about doing it in an effective way? Not, uh, not in a judgmental way, but how do I learn to um, assert myself in situations I'm not used to because I've been put down or I haven't been allowed to voice my thoughts about that so that it can actually you know, really affect change in people, or at least reach people? Three shots of vodka for courage. And you just <laughs> walk right in there. Um, <laughs> it's, in all seriousness, um, I think a good way, you know, again, it depends on the person and how they put themselves down. But I think what you're speaking to is uh, the superego, that if you have a toxic superego where you've internalized that um, negative talk that's been put to you, where your emotions don't matter, and you know you're not worthy then you're going to naturally shrink when you're in those situations and you're not going to be able to put yourself out there and feel confident so a lot of it has to do with 
um, something I like to call reparenting yourself, which is learning to, um, you know, encourage yourself and validate yourself for all the amazing things that you are doing. You know, all the things that you would otherwise overlook, you know, like, hey, I'm taking care of myself. Uh, I've supported myself for this long. I'm amazing. I'm pursuing my passions. I'm not, you know, selling out. I'm very happy with who I am. Um, and being happy with the incremental changes too. Not being hung up on this ideal that you want to be, but being grateful and proud of yourself for the journey of who you're becoming, you know, because it's not just about the destination. It's about who you become on the way there. I like that. And I think one has to be kind of patient with oneself too. And, but I'm, I'm curious when you use the word superego, is there a difference in your mind with the superego or just, is it a form of ego? It's the ego that, um, so there's the ego that's like discerning about, you know, yours and mine and that sort of thing. Then there's the superego that's like the part that judges us, like from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, you know, it's like the internalized parent, it's the God self. I think in the more classical terminology, that's kind of how they, and you know, that's how they categorize it. Um, it's how you judge yourself beyond the ego, beyond differentiation. You know, it's like you're projecting this outward opinion on yourself beyond your own discernment. That's what the superego is. And that's what I feel tends to, like, when it comes to perfectionism, you know, we want to do everything just right. And we call it perfectionism, but really, it's our own insecurity. We're afraid that we're going to be rejected for not doing it perfect and not being up to everyone else's standards. You know, when, in fact, authenticity is the thing that people love the most. They don't want perfection. They want to see you in your realness, but we have this brainwashing of, you know, if you don't do it right, you're not good enough and you're going to be a failure and that's it for you. And that's going to be your lot in life. And that's end. You know what I mean? It's, it's a harsh brainwashing that people internalize. Yeah, that being authentic, you're so right about that. And the, the problem I have personally is when I go to practice my spiritual values and I have come to see that they're sometimes too ideal. And, but I keep trying, like, like, like one I have a really hard time with personally is, is wishing people well that are successful if I think they don't deserve it. I don't see why I should do that. <laughs> uh, you know, they say, well, you should always wish people well. And I said, I honestly can't do that. But I can for people that I see are very talented. I know they've worked hard. I'm really proud of them. I cry when I see that they're succeeding. But when I see people cheating and doing things, or I, or I actually don't think they're very good, and they get a lot of success. And so that's just an example of let's take a spiritual belief and how could we make it real for us that we can attain it, that we can actually embody it and not these kind of overly lofty ideals that actually end up making you feel worse? Yeah. And that's that's a tough thing about spirituality. And I really want to go back to addressing that because I think that's a fascinating uh, perspective to play with. But I think that um, when it comes to spirituality, people make the mistake of taking spiritual concepts and trying to make them 3D and ubiquitous. And you wind up with a parody of spirituality, like all you need is love and we are all one. It's like, yeah, but not really. There's nuance to this. We can't just put a bumper sticker slogan all over the world and that's it. You know, there's there's nuance to it. To your um, to your perspective, though, what I, I love that because I've struggled with the same thing. And the conclusion that I've come with that I've made peace with is knowing that those people in their lives even if they're talentless hacks that are completely screwing over other people, I know that they have their own challenges and they are here to present challenges to other people to grow. So they're playing their part in the greater choreography of the universe awakening because there needs to be that villain aspect, that darkness to the light. And so, yeah, in a certain sense, I wish them well in the universal cosmic sense, like, great, you're playing your role and you have your own challenges but that doesn't mean I support you. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I've come to that myself. Uh, Michael, you have a comment. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that this strikes at, you know, in my mind too, is that um, 
to me, it's all about truth. You know, if someone is a cheat, why should we not just acknowledge them for being a cheat, right? Why do I have to say that they're, they're some false praise or some false thing around it, you know, rather than just say it is what it is, you know? And if you don't want to be known for being a cheat, then stop cheating people. You know, it's as simple as that. But Absolutely. for me, I, we went through this in, in my Masonic Lodge, and, and uh, I was the officer's coach, or still am. So I teach the ritual to the, the other officers and so forth as a past master. Um, and, and some nights we do a degree, a, a ritual, they would do not such a good job. They would struggle through it and, and they didn't sort of, they just weren't prepared mentally or whatever it might be. And it wasn't a very good ritual. And, and our secretary used to feel so bad for them that he would stand up and go on and on about how great they were and try and make them feel better. And I say, please don't do that. They, they, they know they screwed up, I'm thinking in my head. And, and you're just making them feel worse by giving them this false praise that they know that they don't, they don't deserve. And I wouldn't tear them down. I wouldn't say that you're, you know, you did a lousy job or anything, but I'm certainly not going to flatter them or compliment them, you know, insincerely. Um, it is what it is. If you screwed up, you screwed up, you know, so be it. And then the next week, if they would do a really good job and they really had it together, Together, I would definitely heap praise on them and their faces would light up because they knew that they deserved it, they'd earned it, it was sincere and genuine. And to me, I think we have such a difficult time in this society with truth and just being genuine with people and people being able to take that in, you know, if, if someone disagrees with me, they disagree with me. If they don't think I'm doing a good job, so be it, you know, and if the criticism is constructive, fine. But that ego thing gets in the way and I think it causes us to struggle so much with, you know, just accepting truth or just just calling it like it is, as I said, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think that's that that's a good point, Michael. Yeah, that's a hard one for a lot of people to deal with, especially these days on social media, when people want gratification and like approval from their peers so deeply that if they don't get it, especially young people, they have this thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. Oh. And so if they're not included in the peer group, then they feel like their life is passing them by and that they're not cool. It's a really deep psychological con condition that kids are committing suicide over. Oh, so wow. It's a, yeah, it's a really deep issue. Um, and I think that people who come from generations pre-internet, we have that sort of like sovereignty of like, yeah, I can speak honestly to you and I'll be okay, we'll be okay. But people who live in the digital world, like if you are called out for something, and they embarrass you, you can be canceled for years, you know, because mm -hmm. that's online, that's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's a big fear around that, too. So I can totally empathize with people nowadays about honesty and like doing it strategically. But I totally agree with you that if there's BS, you need to call it out 100%. I'm all about that. Well, yeah. And, and well, there's also time and place to be honest with people. And there are times where I'll look at something on in the internet or social media and go, oh, you know, that one is really going to not help them in what they're seeking. And it's um, mostly because of, well, two things. One is things go viral so quickly and everything is written in such short sentences. There's so much likelihood for miscommunication from the get go. Um, so I, I, I go through stages where I don't even want to deal with certain issues that are so complex that I know that I'm not going to get my point across on Facebook because I just don't have, it's not quite the, the medium, like a conversation would be a medium where you go back and forth and you can see people's expressions. And so, you know, FaceTime is a good one, but I, I think the medium is so wonderful on some levels, the Instagram and, and how fast things can go and so dangerous. I agree. You know, and we'll, hopefully we'll we'll grow out of some of the, the immaturity of it all. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we are growing fast. Yes. So let's go back a little too. And let's talk about when we talk about um, difficult emotions, um, what would you say from your experience are some of the more difficult emotions that people deal with trying to express them or acknowledge them or own them? Well, I'd say things like you know, just in general, shame, guilt, those are really big ones. Um, people are afraid to express that and share their vulnerability with that. Um, but I think anything when it comes to like, you know, anything like depression or, um, you know, addiction to abusive relationships, you know, uh, admitting that you have a problem with codependency, those kinds of things also very uh, taboo for people and very sensitive um rage issues um i don't know if i said depression already but uh, addiction as well you know drug addiction sex addiction 
um, you know, whatever kind of addiction it is, those are all very difficult things for people to deal with. And I think a beautiful thing that, st that studying trauma has given me is having a broader, simpler way of looking at trauma so that it's not these disparate elements like depression, anxiety, anger, you know what I mean? It's all just a response mechanism to trauma. That's it. Everyone has their own different responses. Um, so yeah, it's kind of taking the stigma out of it for me. You know, what, no matter what your response is, it's not necessarily your fault for what you, for how you feel and maybe what you've done in response to that as a survival strategy, you know? Um, so yeah, I think we need to remove the stigma from that a lot, even though they are difficult emotions. Yeah. And, and I think in this country, I do think there is still less stigma, but there's still more stigma under certain circumstances. So for instance, one of the things I, as I've gotten older, um, that I'm coming across lately is when I go out and I speak up and I'm angry with someone that doesn't know me, uh, they think I'm crazy old woman now. So I'm mm -hmm. getting the crazy old woman thing th literally thrown at me. And it, it did kind of throw me off at the, the first time I got, it, I was like, oh, you know, okay, this is a new one. I know I've had other ones. And so, you know, I understand that anger is complicated and asserting oneself is complicated. Uh, but at the same time, it seems very common for people to just react by shutting you down. That's my experience. Very few people go, oh, why are you upset? <laughs> you know? They don't have emotional intelligence. They don't know how to deal with their own emotions. So they just shut you down and criticize you and pigeonhole you away. Yeah, and, and exactly. And so um, what are some of the tools that you personally find are effective for you with dealing with your own and also when people come at you with their emotions? Mm. Okay, so those are two big, big questions. I'm going to start with uh, addressing people coming at me first, and then I'll go to my stuff uh, and the personal process because that's a little more deep. Um, when people project their stuff at me, oftentimes I just see them as a person who's in pain. That's really what it comes down to. They're a person who's in pain, they're projecting their stuff onto me, and my initial response is to not take it personally. Like, this person is suffering at me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I inquire. The first thing I do is I, I don't engage. I stop. I make a little a buffer space between that person's words and me. Like, I observe it. And this is where meditation is phenomenal. If you can have that little bit of buffer space between what is done and your reaction, that makes all the difference. So those little self-help techniques that we do, crucial. So what I do is I ask questions. I clarify, like, you know, or what I can do is say, like, I feel this. You know, if you make I statements. So instead of saying, you're, you're this, that, and the other thing, and you cuss them out, you can say, you know, I feel really misunderstood, and I really want to, you know, find some common ground, because I know you're a great guy, and I know that we're upset about this. I'm assuming it's a guy, because they're more confrontational, generally. Um, but you know, I think you're a really great guy. I really want to find some common ground here. It hurts my feelings that you're that you're judging me when there's so much more. And I really hope that we can talk this out. You know, and I understand that you're upset. Who wouldn't be upset? You know, things are totally crazy. So you know, asking questions and empathizing a little bit, because when people are angry, the worst thing you can do is get angry back at them or tell them to shut it down because you're invalidating them. Mm -hmm. All anger is, is a defense mechanism that is protecting sadness when it doesn't feel safe to be sad. So you need to make sure that person understands that you're not attacking them, you empathize with them, that you are open to having a conversation and that you don't wanna make it combative because you're just two people trying to understand things. So taking some time to have that space and diffuse the situation and not make it personal, that makes all the difference. And if they're open to it, great. If not, then just walk away. Like, yeah, that's fine. You know, be mad. You don't want to talk about it. That's fine. Which is like 90% of the conversations you'll have because most people don't have the emotional intelligence to go there. Mm -hmm. But once in a while, you know, you'll reach that one or two people and it makes all the difference. It's, tr it's so true. I had this encounter on the bus one day and I'd been reading Pablo Coelho's book, 
um, it's like quotes, something like the, the spiritual warrior. And there were quotes from different books. And there was this one great quote where he basically says that every warrior has a sword and they should have a sword. But when you take that sword out, just remember, it's always a fight to the death. And do you really want to fight to the death? So I just read that and I, I was on the bus and the bus driver went past my bus stop. This large kind of strong looking African-American woman, kind of almost a little intimidating. And I, I had pulled the, the cord and she kept going. I said, hey, you, you know, you missed my stop. And I started kind of getting into it with her. But right in the middle of my conversation, I thought about that quote. I remember thinking like, Krista, you don't want to fight to the death here. <laughs> and I got it. And I, I even said out loud to her, I said, hey, I don't want to continue this. I don't want to ruin your day. And she looked at me and she stopped the bus. And I had this moment of really connecting with her. It was it was the way she looked at me, too. I, I don't think that ever happened to either of us. And it was it was so <laughs> wonderful. I, I'll never forget it, that I actually stopped it, my own process. And, and it was because of that teaching I'd read. So yeah. sometimes having little teachings in my head about how to handle situations helps me if I can, you know, remember it. Yeah. And it's amazing when you find that in yourself, it's not even just an intellectual process, but once you practice it a little bit, it becomes an embodied feeling process. And they can feel you, you know, you can see it in your body too, instead of being up here with it, you're just like, all right, and you just relax a little bit. And then th unconsciously they're reading your body language and your breath calming down. And they're like, oh, and they mirror you because that's what people do. They mirror each other in communication, mm -hmm. totally unconsciously. And so they'll start to relax and calm down. It's amazing what happens. You're totally right. And I started to well up with tears when you were saying that because it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those memories I'll, I will never forget because, you know, the other thing is you never know what's going to happen. I didn't yeah. expect her even to acknowledge it. And I don't know why I said everything out loud. Usually I would just kind of go in my head and be saying to myself, Krista, stop this, you know, or whatever. But I just said it out loud, too. And mm -hmm. and I'll, I, I realized that you know, I can do it. I, I fail a lot more than I succeed. <laughs> I will say that with, we all. but, um, but I do like the challenge of pushing myself to communicate and connect better with people. I, I, I want to do that even when I know I've flubbed it and I, I flubbed it again and okay, that didn't help Krista, but I, I feel it's, it's a good thing to do, you know? hundred percent. So crucial. Communication is more vital than ever. We need communication schools or something, I think. Yes. That, that yeah. would be amazing. <laughs> teach psychology in elementary school instead of the Pythagorean theorem. Have you used the Pythagorean theorem once outside of school ever? <laughs> nope. Nope. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole systemic priority shift that needs to happen. So what you were saying, it, it's a little a different question, but what what is your own internal process that you go through some of the times, or at least some of the things that you go through? Um, so what I do is I have a hand mnemonic. And this is something, now let me explain a little bit for people who don't know who I am, where I'm coming from, so maybe they can kind of understand why I do what I do. I uh, have been diagnosed before with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Although it's not really a disorder, it's just, you know, it's a survival mechanism. There's nothing really wrong with you. It's just you're adapting to hostile circumstances all the time that you don't know where the danger is coming from. And uh, just look it up. You can Google it. Anyway, basically, I've had to learn about regulating my state, right? And this is something that children pick up when they have supportive parents. They don't need to regulate their state because their state is regulated for them. They don't have to worry about abuse and being rejected and that sort of thing. So I have a hand mnemonic that I use, and I also remember embodiment. So several times throughout the day, what I'll do is I'll, and this is kind of, Gurdjieff talks about this in, in uh, his book, In Search of the Miraculous and uh, Meetings with Remarkable Men. What they do is they stop themselves and they'll look at life like a movie right? They'll pull back out of themselves and not identify with their personality, with what's going on, and they will just remember themselves. That's what it's called, remembering themselves. So when I stop, I remember to breathe deep down, not just in your belly, but down to your pelvic bowl, like down to the perineum, and really fill that space with air and breathe more deeply 
and calm down. And you'll notice that everything starts to, your voice gets a little deeper, you get more relaxed, and you can not just feel your body more, but you can feel the world through your body. You know, it's not just the five senses up here mostly, it's the whole world is felt through your body and it's a game changer because you feel safe to embody yourself. And you can do these intellectual practices, but without the embodiment, it's not gonna change. And the funny thing is, is that once you change your body, you know, your unconscious changes too because your unconscious is reflected through your body. You can see who people really are, the way they hold their body, the way they move through space, whether they're crouched over like this or you know, awkward positions when they're walking. And you can tell a lot about what a person is going through just by watching them. But if you physically change yourself, your body, your unconscious, your subconscious will begin to shift as well and take on that state. So embodiment is key. Now here's the hand mnemonic that I like to use, okay? Um, first of all, I use my thumb and the thumb is I am, like I am me, all right? This is me, okay? Apart from everything else in the world. And just the phrase I am allows you to align with yourself and pull in your energy and fill in the gaps where your energy might be leaking out to people. Index finger, point where you want to go. What do you want for yourself? What are your goals? Remember what's important to you. Are you looking to just emotionally regulate your state? Do you have uh, priorities that you need to do right now instead of wasting it on drama that you're getting pulled into, right? Third finger, not the FU finger. It's the longest <laughs> finger on your hand. And we want to think of that like a bridge outward. So you're inviting emotions, okay? You're inviting your emotions. You're thinking about how deep you can go into yourself. You really want to give yourself time to feel. And notice that finger's right in the middle of everything. It's the center of everything, okay? You need to center yourself. You need to feel your emotions. You know, what am I feeling? Um, and sometimes it's really hard for people who have uh, compound trauma. You know, they don't know not just how to express their feelings, but they don't even know how they feel. I had that problem so for so long. People would say, how are you feeling? Like, uh, I'm... Uh, uh, and it's nothing. It's I'm numb. I have numbed myself because I'm so armored. Mm -hmm. And so I'd have to start with, I'm frustrated that I can't feel anything. I'm angry that I'm getting frustrated for not, you know what I mean? And like, you just go from there and then you just keep digging. What I did is I have an emotion wheel on my phone. I don't know if you can see it. Oh it's yeah. A wheel of, a That's wheel so of cool. motion. And I look at it sometimes when I'm feeling kind of, you know, when I'm caught up in the matrix and I'm losing my connection to self like all right what emotions am i feeling i look at it as a reference point get in touch with your emotions okay that's your middle finger that's super important ring finger here we go self-interested action this is your marriage finger okay what are you committing to doing what do you need to do for yourself do i need to eat am i getting hangry okay do i need <laughs> to do yoga when's the last time i got in my body you know um what, you know, am I sleeping right? What do I need as a person? Not just what do I want to do, but what do I need? Okay. And then the pinky, last little pinky is chop. It, okay. You're going to chop with it and you're going to chop what is mine and what is yours. So these are my responsibilities. This is my action. This is what belongs to me and what everything else is. And I want people to repeat after me, not my problem, okay? <laughs> not my problem. That is a game changer. When people with trauma learn to let go and stop people pleasing and shrinking themselves down, not my problem, okay? So the, that's the hand mnemonic. If you do that, oh, and by the way, uh, also journaling every morning, like there are questions I ask myself and I kind of set my intention and that sort of thing. If you do that every day, that hand mnemonic and journal, if you do that every day, uh, three times a day at minimum, I say five, but three, if you do it every single day for a month, you will be a completely different person, 100%. And that's why I like coaching people to get them deeper in their body and show them tricks on how to do it, especially with their breath and how to connect, how to maintain that. And also the specific questions to ask in keywords because wording is so important when it comes to connecting with these subconscious, especially when you write.
So all those little things, those are a couple of little tricks I've learned along the way. I okay. love the hand mnemonic. It's it's brilliant. It's so uh, simple to remember. And I could see right away how even doing three of those things would make a big difference, you know, once mm-hmm. you you just started doing it. Um, it's it's nice to have a tool like that, yeah. you know, and because it, it, it's, I mean, I, I'm for more substantive tools in life too, uh, mm-hmm. but it is uh, a world that tends to move quickly and it's nice. It's very portable too. The idea is very portable. Yeah. So and, I, you that, and you definitely need those bigger tools, you know? Like I think, you know, I, I remember I went to Gestalt therapy, right? And those tools, having a professional being able to read my reactions and call me out on my body language. You know, if I would talk about something and I would, you know, just make this gesture and then the therapist say, okay, slow down. What is your body saying when you do this with your hands and you slow it down and you feel it and you feel it like this pushing away and they help you get deeper. So there are those like key tools or, you know, EMDR is also a really good one as well. Um, you know, and also CBT, that's mostly good for uh, just PTSD, not necessarily CPTSD. There are distinctions to be had um, case by case basis, but you're right. Those bigger tools and guided um, exercises are so important in the guiding process, especially when you first start out. I, I uh, like Thich Nhat Hanh's books a lot, and uh, he often has very simple tools, even though he's a trained Zen monk that has also the long practices. And one of the things I remember he said uh, about anger, he said to wait three days before you did anything. And he also is a big believer in um, seeing your emotion like a child, like you bring it into you, you, you want to tend to it. And it's, it's precious in a sense. And he says it probably in a little more poetic and nicer way than that, but basically you're not trying to repress it. So I realize that most of us are not going to wait three days, but having him say that amount of time will make me wait three minutes, <laughs> you know, exactly. or whatever length <laughs> it is. And even that can change how, you know, whether I really want to respond to it, I'm just going to let it go, or maybe I'm going to find out something more about it, and then I'll be more effective in addressing it. So I, I really liked that advice. It was something, again, that I, I thought was was doable. You know, I mean, not the three days necessarily, but, you know, waiting that per- a period of time. Absolutely. And yeah. he's got a lot of little, you know, little suggestions like that. But he's, he's similar to you. Um, I was listening to this he has these questions he answers in Plum Village and and someone asked about self-love and how do you love yourself? And he his first response said, you have to love your body. It was not at all what I thought he'd say. And he talked about the whole embodiment thing. And it was amazing because I'd never heard a Buddhist monk talk about the body in such a, a clear and useful way. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. So he, you know, he's basically, I think, saying the same thing as you, that whole embodiment idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, let's go back into the idea of the toxic environment a little bit, because I mean, obviously the, the pandemic period has brought out maybe even more so some of the things that have always been here. And also because we have, of course, access now to every part of the world practically to see what's going on if it's real or not, what we're seeing, <laughs> but, but yeah. how do you, first of all, how would I differentiate that it really is my toxic environment and I'm not projecting? That's maybe something some people might struggle with that they don't realize it is their projection or it really is a toxic environment. How would you suggest people learn to differentiate the two? You know, the funny thing about life is that it's so difficult to discern the inner and the outer because they're so enmeshed. A lot of the time. Um, I think, again, it's a case-by-case basis because there's so many possibilities that we could be talking about. You know, is it the other person or is it me? There's no golden rule. I think what's most important is if we can kind of extract something that's important for people to take away about these kinds of situations is not to fall into victimhood, which is, you know, thinking that it's the big, bad external world that's to blame and I'm the victim and therefore the world owes me and I am just going to be you know, angry 
and demanding and not look at myself. Okay. The beautiful, well, not the beautiful, but the, the tempting thing about the victim mentality is that as a victim, you don't have to change because you're the victim. That's why people love it because they have no responsibility to change themselves. It's all their fault. So if you can recognize that it's, it's always a two-way street in some sense, um, I can think of some extreme cases where that's not true, but mostly a two-way street, um, then that's gonna be what's most important in terms of navigating uh, what's yours and what's mine. If you can take some self-responsibility to some capacity, then you'll be growing as a person in some degree. And also I think just in general discernment uh, is huge, this critical thinking and discernment. Well, that, that's, that's a really good point. Um, first of all, the word judgment has been really misconstrued by people, I think. So they say, oh, you should not be judgmental. Well, yes, I'm going to judge a negative behavior, I may not, I'm not judging your soul, though. I'm not there to judge like God or weigh out the, you know, the soul. So that's not right. my business. But there is a little, especially in the spiritual world, you know, no judgment. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the use of those words, critical and judgment and, and how we can use and discerning. I like that. Yes. Yeah, I think, again, this comes down to you know, oh, this is a phrase, oh my gosh, in the spiritual community, when they say, this is my truth. Oh. <laughs> okay. Look, I know that you have your perspective, you have your path, you have your opinion, you have what works for you. But there is, especially in the New Age community, a distortion of words on purpose. And one of those words is truth. Truth is objective. Okay. Um, so when you say, like, I believe this because it's my truth. I'm doing this because it's my truth. You can say it's your path that you're choosing. It's your preference. Same with judgment. They take judgment and they condemn it. Judgment is this, you know, you are, you're oppressing me with your opinion. How dare you? You know, like, no, it's okay. Like we make judgments all the time. I shouldn't walk in front of the bus. That's a judgment call. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, it's not, criticism and condemnation and that's the thing like that's that judgment that's that victim mentality coming back in it's twisting things because oh i'm the victim if you judge me and you're the bad person so therefore i don't have to change it's that toxic passivity again and that's a huge thing in our society toxic passivity because everyone is so addicted to their phones and they'd rather just sit back and just watch the world go by and not actually have to take an active part in it they can just they can judge from their phones and they're totally righteous. Mm -hmm. But the second anyone gives them an opinion, oh, they're the asshole. I don't know if I can swear, but you can bleep that out. We'll do it in post. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like it, people have this weird double standard and it's an infantilized way of looking at the world where they are the center of the universe. They can do no wrong. They're the ones who are right and everyone else is bad. And if you judge them, then they can't take it. And that's that fragile ego. It's kind of a narcissistic infantilization if you want to psychoanalyze it a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of what it is. And it is, it's a terrible thing in a society. We need to fix it. It's very true because people that whine and complain the most do, I, I do think they do get a lot of attention. I've noticed that for a long time. I think that was before even Instagram that we all need support and we need them in all stages. And I've always thought, well, why does this one group need it more than someone, you know, successful pe people need support. In fact, usually that's why some of them are successful. They've created support. But the idea, certainly that there are tragedies that people go through that in a moment we want to help them in that one critical moment, which is fine in that moment to lift people up. But then when it goes on and on forever or what people consider to be, one of the things Michael I've noticed as Reed is what people consider to be an emergency uh, it's a it's a little bit over the top, you know. Yeah. What is it, Michael? You say it's like it's an emergency. If it requires a fire truck, an ambulance, or the yeah, police. Yeah, I would say that if it's gonna if it involves a, a police car, a fire truck, an ambulance, or a hearse, it's an emergency. <laughs> and if it doesn't require one of those four vehicles, then it's not. 
<laughs> and so that's my philosophy on it. And, and it's very rare that their quote-unquote emergency requires one of those four vehicles, just so you know. It's usually I had a fight with my boyfriend or I, I, I didn't get my tickets to the concert, you know, and that's their emergency. And it's, it's so funny, eh, the trivialization of these things. So that's what I always tell people at work. If it doesn't involve one of those four vehicles, then tell them it is not an emergency. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and it's 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 interesting because I mean I, I I have a friend who was actually a victim of a terrible terrible assault and she's never been a victim. In fact, she speaks up and talks about it freely. It was a a, a terrible mugging where her whole face was almost pulled off by a hammer. It was a random mugging in Chicago, and she has never struck me at all as a victim. And as I said, she even speaks up for people that have gone through similar things. And she's certainly gone on with her life. And she, you know, had you know, major physical problems afterwards, including a loss of some of her memory and teeth issues. And she, I, I've always thought she was one of the best examples of someone that can handle or has handled a, a terrible event and has not become a victim and passive in her life. I and mean, she's following her goals and dreams still. Some of them changed, but she's been very successful in things too and thinking outside the box. And she's just an amazing human being and, and totally an inspiration to me. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, no, she's just a really beautiful soul too and has a good sense of humor and, you know, hasn't, you know, lost faith in humanity, <laughs> things yeah. like that, you know. So so there, it's, it's achievable if, even if you've gone through such a terrible event. Can I say something real quick about sure. that? I feel like people often have this pity on themselves. Like I've gone through these horrible times and, you know, again, that um, like, woe is me. And they get into this defeatist attitude. And, you know, obviously you need to because sometimes when you're in that depressed state, you need love and you need to give yourself love. Like I'm wounded I'm, and it's okay to grieve. I think there's the flip side, which is what your friend is embodying which is recognizing that our challenges are really opportunities to grow in a lot of ways. And oftentimes they're not what we prefer, but they are there to help us grow in ways that we could have never dreamed to become greater than we could have ever imagined. And, you know, there's, there's ways to get to, to hack that. Okay. There's something called human needs psychology, and it basically breaks down the human psyche to needing uh, just a couple of basic things. Okay. Like seven basic things. Um, and I could go into the whole spiel about that, but if you can just reframe your reality, you know, like I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a football star so I can be admired by people, you know, but I got into a terrible car accident and now I can't, now I broke my knee and I can't play, but I'm teaching kids in how to play football. And now I'm their coach and they love me and we're doing a great thing in the season. And I'm really, you know what I mean? Like you find a greater purpose in a path that you never expected, but it really fulfills you more deeply than, you know, some fleeting fame and accolade would have. You know what I mean? Like if you can find the gift in your challenges, that's where the miracles happen. Frida Kahlo. Yeah. I mean, you look at her life, she wanted to be a doctor, right, before her accident. And then she started drawing and, and she was never really fully recovered and she never had children. But look at the art she created. It's yeah. just incredible, you know, and, and that's an example of that, too. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I know there's some people, this is one thing I don't agree with the new, new age people say, oh, you know, we sign a contract before we come here and <laughs> we are, we're going to do these and these experiences. And I said, you know, first of all, if I knew it was coming, it would not make me grow. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's way more interesting and complex the way we interact with the soul and the universe. I don't think it's so stagnant, you know, and spelled out. And yes, there might be some themes that karmically we're here because of habit. We've been doing this habit karma for a while, but but I always thought the idea that chaos chaos is part of life, you know, the unexpected. And chaos can be good and still be chaotic. Someone wins the lottery, that's still chaotic. Sure. And they still have to figure out how to handle it, which evidently a lot of people don't handle very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> though I say, bring it, bring it. <laughs> exactly. Why not? <laughs> and again, that's uh, that's why I like uh, things like astrology or human design or numerology, 
there's these major themes, they're like waypoints on your journey, but how you get there is totally up to, you know, your own personal volition, the influences of society and lifetimes. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's not black or white. No. So, so here's another sort of question I wanted to ask you was as we're working on the, our healing and, and ourselves, when does it come time to take a break from working on ourselves, even if it's just temporary? So to sort of just enjoy being and being flawed and human and life. So because I, I, I think that seems to be an issue for some of the clients I have. When someone's throwing a killer party, you should just let it drop and, uh, and just get down to the music. You know, when the music's playing, just be real. Um, but in general, I would say that if you are emotionally resourced and you can handle yourself without getting into emotional flashbacks where, you know, let's say, I'll take an extreme case. If you're a veteran from Iraq and you're walking along and you hear a motorcycle start and pa that ignition and you don't flash back into that emotional like, uh, then, okay, you don't have to do the self-work as much anymore. You can give yourself kudos, you can ease off a little bit, and you can start enjoying things a little bit more. But if you try to jump out before you're actually solidified, then you're gonna actually regress a little bit, and it's gonna just, it's gonna be self-defeating. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's just a felt thing, you know? It's like, how long should I not, you know, eat a whole cheesecake if I'm dieting? It's like, well, you know, you can have a slice of cheesecake occasionally, but, you know, it's just about regulation and who you are and where you're at. So as long as you maintain that relative progression, and sometimes you might slip a little bit, and that's okay, because we all do. We slip back sometimes, and we go back. But just remember to keep your eyes on that prize, um, and it's okay to have fun once in a while. And you feel your threshold as you go. It's, that's, I mean, it's a general... Uh, axiom, you know, you feel it as you go, but yeah, it's a, it's a very personal journey. So it's hard to say um, when a person should go on or not. So I got to say emotional regulation. Listening to you, another thing that came up for me was the idea of helping our friends when they don't know they're not being themselves. So I've had situations personally, I've had several different versions of where I, especially when I've been going through either um, a major loss, a death, or uh, when my grandmother was dying of cancer. And um, I've had people that have effectively pointed, pointed out that I needed help and they, they couldn't help me. And I've had people that have been downright mean to me. Mm -hmm. And how do we help people gently? I'll give you an example of a good way that someone helped me when my mother died. And I was also quite sick at the time. After almost a year, my, my husband just said, Hey, you know, I really don't think you're yourself. And I think it might be helpful for you to get some support. And that's all he said. And it really was helpful. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go find a grief group because I'm not really getting through this. You know, it was a big deal, but it was the way he said it was really kind. It wasn't like, Hey, you know, get over it, Krista, you need help. And I've had people say things like that to me when I'm in the midst of the trauma, like you're going through something, especially um, I think when you're younger and you have younger friends and they don't know how to handle trauma, it would be nice to be educated on how do we help each other in a gentle manner to say, hey, I can't help you, but I really know you need help. And perhaps it'd be good for you to see someone or talk to someone. I'm worried about you. Yeah. So that's, that's a really important point. Um, what happens, I feel is there's two things. So for one, I gave you that example of my own personal process where my friend said like, you know, you always say the right things, you do the right things, but I can't feel you, you know? Coming from that I place, like, I, I love you, I miss you, I can't feel you, like, where have you gone? And you kindle that recollection within themselves. And then really what that is, is using something that the person loves more than themselves as leverage. So if there's a mom who is becoming an alcoholic and neglecting her children and becoming very unconscious, you know, like, you know, your children are, you know, you explain like, look, your children are really hurting right here. They need you. You know, you haven't been there for them. You missed this and this, like, we really miss you. And 
finding that leverage point, you know, that's what it's all about is finding leverage. If you can find out with a person and make them understand that it's bigger than just them and that they have a reason to fight and a reason to get better, then that's going to help push them forward tremendously. Um, and also giving them uh, an idea of where to go. So whether it's like, hey, I know this great practitioner or hey, go to guidetrue.com, you can find your own or whatever the case may be, just giving them something where they can where it's not just all on their shoulders, like, okay, you're not enough, now get better and do it yourself. And there's nothing for them. You have to give them some support. So those two things are crucial, leverage, support. I really like that. That makes a lot of sense, the leverage part, especially, you know, giving them also that reason that is important to them, that you know them is important for them. And and yes, I, I, we are getting a little closer to the end of the show, about five minutes left. And um, I want to make sure we talk about where people can reach you personally. And um, Guide True is one place. .com is the website. Is that correct? Yeah. And guide, then Instagram, um, you have uh, Instagram. Yeah, at Guide True as well. And then you have uh, personal Instagram, too, for your amazing artwork. You're a very talented artist, too. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Humberto.braga.artwork. Yeah, it's all on Instagram. Connect with me. If you have any questions or need any guidance or anything, let me know. Uh, I'm going to be doing videos soon as well. I've been realizing that this is now more important than ever for people who have gone through their own personal journeys. Even if you're not a, a licensed therapist, you know, I think some of the most wise people I've ever known who helped me the most don't have doctorate degrees as therapists. They're just people who've gone through their own dark night of the soul, come out the other side, and are just amazing people. And now more than ever, we need people like that, like you, to come out and share your gifts with everyone. And so that's why I created Guide True, because it automatically connects people exactly to the, to the uh, practitioners that they need for exactly what they're looking for for free. So we need a wellness revolution. We need people to step up and really put themselves out there. So if anyone has any questions or needs anything, feel free to get in touch. I'm happy to talk anytime. I can tell you being a, having read for people now for almost a quarter of a century uh, that, you know, because I have worked really hard on myself, especially in my 20s, I, I really I had such especially strong issues of asserting myself and confidence. And then uh, I had huge abandonment issues. And I spent a lot of my 20s doing different kinds of therapies and meditations. And it was extremely hard. And I was and painful, really. And it, it took me a lot of time. And and I, I know that it is about the people that do the work and, and certainly trained people. There are trained people that do the work. But that's to me what matters is, are you doing the work? And and there are a lot of different kinds of tools these days. You know, there's there's not just really a couple ways to be successful at, at self-improvement. There never was, but now we have access to it. That's really what... I think the consciousness revolution is that we have access to things we just didn't have before. Huge. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then I think, you know, having, I like the videos idea because, you know, people do connect to personality and energy and, you know, someone might have that kind of energy that they feel I can relate to him or I can relate to her. I feel a connection. I know I have that with people and, and, and that is part of the, of course, the healing process is if you feel that connection with whoever you're going to, to work with healing. Huge. And everyone has something to say that's unique to them. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who need to hear it exactly the way you have to say it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like not, every, not everyone is for Tony Robbins or Pima Chodron. Like we need unique approaches and people need to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I, I, I referred to that as the soothsayer part of doing reading, readings is, is the words, the right words. And, and I've had people even say that the way you said that is really what struck them more than anything else. And you're right, if you and that's a, a kind of an art to listening to the words that want to come up when you speak to people is its own intuitive art, I find. But um, so we are pretty much close now to the end of the show. Do you have any last sort of gem you want to share with us or just anything at all? Oh, wow. Um, just, you know, be in touch. Really, it's right now the world is crazy. We need to be connected to the people who are providing the most value and who are uh, really striving to make the world a better place and not get lost in the noise. 
It's easy to get distracted with nonsense all day, but make an active effort to stay connected with the people who are making the world a better place because that's going to make your life better by leaps and bounds every day. I love that. And thank you so much for coming back. I loved our conversation, Humberto. Always love talking to you, Krista. Thank you so much. And thank you, Michael. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And I look forward to our next journey as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.